Hello, 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 and welcome to another fantastic episode of Anarchy Among Friends Roundtable Discussion. Before we get started, let me first remind you that we are covered by the BIPCOT No Government License, which allows for the reuse and distribution of this podcast by anyone and everyone except for governments and the bludgies thereof. You can learn more about that at BIPCOT.org. That is B-I-P-C-O-T dot O-R-G. We're also protected by Brandenburg v. Ohio, 1969 which ruled that the government cannot punish inflammatory speech unless that speech is, quote, directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce such action. Therefore, everything we say here on Anarchy Among Friends Roundtable Discussion is entirely hypothetical. This is episode 103. I and I will be the only voice you hear today, which I apologize for in advance. Um... The boys are busy, Derek is driving, and the backup crew is coming back from the Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest. So yeah, we were going to skip this weekend because of all that, but I just, I, I really wanted to record because we are in the midst of the anniversary of Ruby Ridge. If you don't know that name, it's okay. It was, it was 28 years ago. Um, I'm going to talk through it a little bit. I have a, a pretty good article here from Jim Bovard uh, that he wrote back in 2017 called Why Ruby Ridge Still Matters. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm going to read through this article and I'll add my own little snippets in there. And as always, the article, the um, sources for, for what we say, they will be in the description below. But I just, I, every, every libertarian, every anarchist, um, they have an issue, or they they have a, a a an event or a story or some piece of history that they really associate with. Uh, for a lot of people, it's it's guns, right? Or or for for the modern for the modern libertarian modern anarchist, right? It's it's Duncan Lip or it's police police abuse or or fascism or, or taxes or whatever. Everybody has that one issue. For me, it was Ruby Ridge. Uh, back in 2009, 2010, I was doing some stuff with some 3% militia guys. Um, yeah, I know. I roll. It's okay. I was that person. So yeah, 2009, 2010, I was doing some stuff with some militia guys. And then I started what I considered to be politically involved um, doing some some online advocacy things and a few other few other things I'm not going to talk about because I live in the state of California. But uh, 2012 rolled around. Early 2012, um, I I created a Facebook page to, to get my own voice out there. This was this was right as uh, Ron Paul right the whole Love Evolution, uh, the grass right the grassroots movement and all this were start were taking off. And August of 2012 was the 20th anniversary of Ruby Ridge. And I can honestly say before this point, I had heard of Ruby Ridge. Um, I may have read a few things. I, I knew that I knew the name Randy Weaver, but I didn't I didn't really know what happened at Ruby Ridge. And the 20th anniversary and, and reading, reading some articles and there was, uh, some documentaries that were some videos that were out and about. And, 
my current or my 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 views at that time with Ron Paul and libertarianism, um, and then the the Ruby Ridge thing. It's just I felt very vindicated in my views learning about Ruby Ridge and the 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 actions of the the U.S. Marshals and the the ATF and the FBI and and Congress and senators and uh, just all the 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 corruption and just all the behind the scenes stuff like the 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 murderers the the murders were bad don't get me wrong the the murders were bad killing killing Sam killing Vicky that was bad but everything everything else beyond that it just it compounded and compounded and compounded and it just it, it's it's so ridiculous and and I'm not going to go into all of it because that would take like that would be like a four-hour podcast, and I'm not going to sit here and talk to myself for four hours. But I will try to get half an hour, 40 minutes out of this. Um, not not enough to bore you guys. So I don't want you guys to have to listen to my voice for that long. But, yeah, so just, just getting into it. Um, I, I will I will read this article from Jim. Um, uh, there's, like, there's like one or two paragraphs I'll skip down below because they're irrelevant. Um, and I'll, I'll interrupt with my own little pieces on it. So, yeah, should be a nice blood pressure raising time. All right, let's get into it. This is, uh, why Ruby Ridge matters, uh, printed November 1st, 2017 on the future for freedom foundation. That is FFF.org. Okay, uh, 2017. So, uh, in the wake of violent clashes between protesters last arg- last August in Charlottesville, this, so this would be August 2016 that he's talking about. Uh, remember, there was the vehicle that drove through the uh, the group of people. Okay, so in the wake of violent clashes between protesters last August in Charlottesville, many people demanded a federal crackdown on suspected dangerous extremists. The federal government has previously carried out similar heavily-handed suppression efforts with disastrous results. Rather than intellectually purify the nation, such efforts are far more likely to turn nitwits into martyrs. During the 1960s and early 1970s, Washington's efforts to stomp out bad ideas spawned federal crime waves. The FBI's Co-Intel Pro program utterly exempted itself from the Constitution and federal, state, and local laws. The FBI set up its own 250-member Klan organization, quote, to attract membership away from the United Klans of America, as a 1976 Senate panel noted. One federally funded informant admitted that he and other Klansmen had, quote, beaten people severely, had boarded buses, and kicked people off. He went in restaurants and beat them with blackjacks, chains, pistols. Other FBI co-intel pro-operations sought to destroy black activists, including Martin Luther King Jr. One FBI office boasted boasted of spurring, quote, shootings, beatings, and a high degree of unrest in the ghetto area of southeast San Diego. Because the instigators were federal agents, they faced no criminal penalty for behavior that would have sent other Americans to prison. Once the FBI committed to subverting dissented speech, its crackdown became a bureaucratic growth industry that eventually targeted even the women's liberation movement. 
Tom Charles Houston, uh, an aide to President Richard Nixon, gave testimony in 1975 about co-Intel Pro tendencies. Quote, to move from the kid with the bomb to the kid to the with the picket sign, from the kid with the picket sign to the kid with the bumper sticker of opposing candidate, and to just keep going down the line, end quote. The best-known case of federal targeting of right-wingers occurred in 1992 at Ruby Ridge. A recent Washington Post article with the untimely headline, quote, why the American left gave up on political violence, and then he notes here that uh, Antifa's violent rampages made headlines in the following weekends, asserted that alienated right-wingers had, quote, sparked the deadly standoff in Ruby Ridge, Idaho. Similarly, National Public Radio asserted in August that, quote, Ruby Ridge is still a rallying cry for people on the militant far right. Randy Weaver and his family lived in an isolated cabin in the mountains of northern Idaho. Weaver was a white separatist who believed races should live apart. He had no record of violence against other races or anyone else. An undercover federal agent targeted him and entrapped him into selling a sawed-off shotgun. The Fed sought to pressure Weaver, who often indulged in anti-government bluster, to become an informant against the Aryan nation, but he refused. Okay, so this right here, um, they're talking about Randy. They, they moved up. They moved from Iowa to the northern panhandle of Idaho. Uh, I think they're only like like 60 miles from the Canadian border. It's, it's pretty far up there. And they were up there for a while on their own, and they were just doing their own thing, and they tried to... They, they, they tried to get along with their neighbors, but their, the neighbors had different different views. Like, there was a lot of a lot of conservative voices up there. Um, there wasn't a lot of anti-government voices that, that, that Randy and, and Vicky believed. Um, so they sought out a church that, ha- that was in the area. And the church just happened to also be used by the, the Aryan Nation, by the white separatist movement up there. Um... So they, they went they went to the church to go to church because there was there was nothing else to do. So they went to the church, they they met some met some other people and, and one of these other people turned out to be a federal informant, a federal snitch, uh undercover oh, sorry, sorry. The other person turned out to be an undercover federal agent posing as a member of the Aryan Nation. And he's like, Hey buddy, can you help me out here? Randy, not working at the time, needed the money, so he cut the barrels off a couple of shotguns and sold them to the guy. Um, there is um, contingency um, on whether or not the rifle, the, the barrels were actually cut shorter than the legal limit of 16 inches. Because um, Randy was never found guilty of that. Let's just put that out there. Randy was never found guilty of the weapons crime. Okay. So, yeah. Um, after Weaver or after Weaver was sent the wrong court date and and understandably failed to show up, the feds used any and all means to take him down. Um, okay. So again, I'm going to interject here. Um, the federal government says that um, there was a misunderstanding. The flip side, the Weavers and their supporters are like, yeah, misunderstanding. Uh huh. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> and um, there was a, a warrant put out for Randy's arrest, and there was one time when they were 
um, coming down the hill, Randy and Vicky were coming down the hill, and there was a truck on the side of the road with the hood up. And they stopped, right? Like good good citizens, good Idahoans would do, um, offered to help. And there were some federal agents in the vehicle, and the federal agents were like, we want you to, to, to turn snitch for us, and that's where Randy refused. And then from that point forward, Randy and Vicky and the family, they largely stayed on the hill, on the mountain, and um, didn't come down. So, um, Idaho lawyer David Nevin noted that the U.S. Marshals, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back. Uh, after Weaver was set the wrong court date and, understandably, failed to show up, the feds used any and all means to take him down. Idaho lawyer David Nevin noted that, quote, the U.S. Marshals called in military aerial recognizance and had photos studied by the Defense Mapping Agency. They prowled the, prowled the, they prowled the woods around Weaver's cabin with night vision equipment. They had psychological profiles performed and installed $130,000 worth of long-ranged solar-powered spy cameras. They intercepted the Weaver's mail. They even knew the menstrual cycle of Weaver's teenage daughter and planned an arrest scenario around it. Let that sink in. Let that. I'm going I'm to read that paragraph again, that quote. Let that sink in. Quote, the U.S. Marshals called in military aerial reconnaissance video, reconnaissance, and had photos studied by the Defense Mapping Agency. They prowled the they prowled the woods around Weaver's cabin with night vision equipment. They had psychological profiles performed and installed $130,000 worth of long-range solar-powered spy cameras. They intercepted the Weaver's mail. They even knew the menstrual cycle of Weaver's teenage daughter and planned an arrest scenario around it. Let that sink in. This, this, is, this is for a guy who allegedly sold a short-barrel shotgun. Or sorry, two short-barrel shotguns. $130,000 worth of long-range solar-powered spy cameras, psychological profiles, night vision equipment, aerial reconnaissance, photos studied by the Defense Mapping Agency. <coughs> they planned a rest, a rest scenario around Weaver's daughter's menstrual cycle. Over a short-barrel shotgun. Which, according to the government's rules, is protected by would be protected by the Second Amendment, right? Shouldn't it be? Anyway, uh, August twenty first, nineteen ninety two, six U.S. Marshals outfitted in full camouflage and carrying machine guns trespassed onto the Weaver's property. Three marshals circled close to the Weaver cabin and threw rocks to provoke the Weaver's dog. As Weaver's 14-year-old son, as Weaver's 14-year-old son Sammy, and Kevin Harris, a 25-year-old family friend living at the cabin, ran towards the barking, a marshal shot and killed the dog. Sammy Weaver fired in the direction those shots came from, uh, and as he was leaving the scene, a marshal shot him in the back and killed him. 
Harris responded by fatally shooting the federal marshal who had fired seven rounds in the melee. Uh, the U.S. Marshal Service later gave its highest valor awards to the marshals who carried out the ambush. Okay, yes, so um, this is this is what's known as, as the incident at the Y, uh, the Y section in the trail down the hill from the Weaver cabin. Um, the marshals threw rocks right there to provoke the dog. They, they wanted they wanted to get the dog's response on video so that they could they could plan their their next movement. So they threw the rocks and took off down the hill when the dogs responded. Uh, Sammy and, and Kevin Harris grabbed their rifles and took off after the dogs, thinking the dogs that, that were after a deer or something. Right? I mean, they, they've been living up on the ridge. They're, Randy's not working. They're trying to live off the land as, as best as they can. The dogs go after something. You follow the dogs. Right? That's kind of SOP, standard procedure in my opinion. So... Dog goes running down the trail, following the marshals, um, and then this is this is where the stories differentiate, right? According to the marshals, they had to shoot the dog, and then they identified themselves as as, as they, they stood up and said, "U.S. marshals, freeze!" or "Police!" or whatever it was, as Sammy and Kevin Harris came around the corner on the trail, and then they said that Sammy took a shot. Right? Well, Kevin Harris says that they came down the hill around the corner and saw three guys fully camoed carrying carrying rifles standing over the dead dog. And then Sammy said you killed my dogs, you son of a bitch, and took a shot. And then turned around and took off running up the hill. And then one of the marshals uh, opened fire with his fully automatic MP5, zipped Sammy in the back, uh, almost severed his arm, killing him. And then Kevin Harris took the shot and killed the U.S. Marshal and then ran up the hill. Uh, and it is confirmed, it was confirmed in 1997 um, by the newly elected sheriff of that area uh, who launched a full investigation and, and wanted to prove that the marshals had killed Sammy actually found a bullet that was lodged in a tree that had that had evidence on it from Sammy. So the, the bullet had passed through Sammy and lodged itself in the tree. Uh, DNA results, all that good stuff. So it was confirmed that the U.S. Marshals killed Sammy Weaver, shooting him in the back. They shot him in the back, almost severed his arm as he turned to run up the hill. Um, and then Kevin Harris lifted his rifle, took the shot, killed the Marshal. And then, and then boogied off, boogied off back up the hill. He met he met Randy coming down the hill. He said, "The police are here. The police are here. They killed Sammy." And they, they both ran up, um, back up to the house to warn the others. And then during this time, the marshals bugged out. Later that night, or later that evening, uh, Randy Weaver uh, walked down the hill, retrieved the body of his son Samuel carried it back up the hill and placed it in the shed adjacent to the house. Um, this will, this will come into play later. So yeah, just put yourself in that situation for a second, right? This is on your land. Your son was just killed by the government that you and your family have been decrying as oppressive and tyrannical 
and now they're here. There's the government on your land. They've killed your son. Um, yeah, you're going to feel some kind of way. Back to the article. Um, the FBI decided that Weaver was such a bad person that the Constitution no longer applied. Snipers from the hostage rescue team were sent in the next day in order to shoot to kill any adult male outside the Weaver cabin. The rules of engagement epitomized federal overreach against citizens who the government despised. Uh, a 1997 federal appeals court decided, or decision derided the rules as, quote, a gross deviation from the constitutional principles and, wo- and wholly unwarranted return to a lawless and arbitrary Wild West school of law enforcement. A 2001 federal appeals court ruling noted that, quote, a group of FBI agents formulated the rules of engagement that permitted their colleagues to hide in the bushes and gun down men who pose no immediate threat. Such wartime rules are patently unconstitutional for a police action. All right, the, the rules of engagement that were altered um, at Ruby Ridge. Um, let's see, let me bring them back. Okay, the, F, the, the FBI's revised rules of engagement assumed in force at Ruby Ridge. Quote, uh, if any adult male is observed with a weapon prior to the announcement, deadly force can and should be employed if the shot can be taken without endangering any children. I'll read that again. If any adult male is observed with a weapon prior to the announcement, that would be the surrender announcement. So if any adult male is observed with a weapon prior to the surrender announcement, deadly force can and should be employed. Two, if any adult in the compound is observed with a weapon after the surrender announcement is made and is not attempting to surrender, deadly force can and should be employed to neutralize the individual. I want to read that one again. If any adult in the compound is observed with a weapon after the surrender announcement is made, and is not attempting to surrender, deadly force can and should be employed to neutralize the individual. Three, if compromised by any animal, particularly the dogs, the animal should be eliminated. Four, any subject other than Randy Weaver, Vicki Weaver, Kevin Harris, presenting threats of death or grievous bodily harm the FBI rules of deadly force are in effect. Deadly force can be utilized to prevent the death or grievous bodily injury to oneself or that of another. <coughs> so that's, that, that last one's not bad. I mean, people have a right to defend themselves, right? But yeah. Um, if any adult male is observed with a weapon prior to the surrender announcement, a deadly force can and should be employed. And then if any adult in the compound is observed with the weapon after the surrender announcement is made and is not attempting to surrender, deadly force can and should be employed to neutralize the individual. Just go ahead. Let that sink in. Let us, the, the, the FBI changed the rules of engagement to give agents not only the license, but the, the, the obligation, the duty, the order to kill to kill people that are not presenting any sort of threat simply 
simply having a weapon and not being like, oh, government overlords, please arrest me. Having a weapon. The rules of engagement say to kill them. Any adult male with a gun. The rules said to kill them. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if those were in a war zone, if like if, if those if 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 somebody in Iraq, if so, if a U.S. military member in Iraq went by that rules of engagement, they'd be sitting in Livingworth right now. So let that I mean let that sink in for a second that the FBI did that. Um, and yeah, as the uh, 1997 Federal Appeals Court decision derided the rules as, quote, a gross deviation from constitutional principles and a wholly unwarranted return to a lawless and arbitrary Wild West school of law enforcement. That's, yeah, so. All right, back to the article. Um, on August 22nd, 1992, FBI sniper Lon Harashi shot Randy Weaver in the back after he stepped out of his cabin. As he struggled to return to his home, Harashi shot and killed Vicki Weaver, who was standing in the cabin door holding their 10-month-old baby. A confidential 1994 Justice Department task force reported report was appalled that people were gunned down before receiving any warning. Quote, the absence of a surrender demand subjected the government to charges that it wasn't setting Weaver up for attack. Okay, uh, interjecting on this one again. Um, Randy Weaver, uh, this is this is the, the second day, right? The Sammy, Sammy had already been killed and was sitting in the shed uh, adjacent to the cabin. Or Sam's body was sitting in the shed adjacent to the cabin. Randy had been visiting his son, saying his goodbyes, cleaning his body, doing all that sort of stuff, and was returning to the cabin when Lon Hirachi, uh, Hiroshi, however you pronounce it, um, at a distance of about 200 yards, he was he was on the next hill over, uh, on a little rise on the hill, about 200 yards away. So this is this is an FBI HRT hostage rescue team sniper. 200 yards away, unarmed Randy gets shot in the back, in the back shoulder, goes stumbling forward, Vicky standing at the door, holding their 10-month-old baby, Elishaba. Lon takes another shot, shoots her in the face, um, kills her instantly, blows out the back of her head, the bullet continues forward and actually embeds itself in Kevin Weaver's arm. So this is two shots, all three adults. Um, Vicki Weaver's body falls into the cabin where the girls are, where Kevin and, and Randy are now are now injured and hiding. Um, there's an article with a quote from uh, from Sarah Weaver. Um, I think I think the article is from the 25th anniversary, so it's like it's like um, 2017. The article um, talking about an excerpt from her book that her and her dad wrote, and the in which she talks about at this point in time, they're convinced that the that the government is trying to assassinate them, so they're crawling around on the floor, 
not silhouetting themselves in any windows. And she says, uh, and she specifically mentions um, having to crawl through her mom's blood in order to get to the kitchen to uh, to, to get food for for her her little sisters and and Kevin and and Randy. Just let that sink in. This is she. I think she at the time she was she was. 13, 14, 15. I think she might have been. She might have been like fifteen or sixteen, um, or she might have been a little bit. I don't. I don't remember the exact. But <sighs> she's having to crawl through her mom's blood to get to the to get to get to the kitchen to get food and 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 whatnot for her family. Her dad has has a bullet hole. Kevin Harris has a bullet embedded in his arm. He's in pain at this point. He's screaming. He actually he actually begs Randy to to shoot him on several several occasions um, during this during this siege during the 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 next um, like ten days that they're in this cabin. So yeah, um, whew, okay. Back to the article. Um, Weaver and Harris, who never fired any shots at FBI agents, uh, surrendered after an 11-day siege. Uh, at their 1993 trial, federal prosecutors asserted that Weaver long conspired to have an armed confrontation with the government. The feds made the bizarre claim that his moving from Iowa to a spot near the Canadian border in 1985 was part of that plot. U.S. Marshal Dave Hunt, uh, in later congressional testimony, repeatedly stressed the, that Weaver had criticized the federal government as a lawless government. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I would say, personally, that the 11-day siege on Ruby Ridge and, and the altered rules of engagement kind of prove that the federal government is a lawless government. Just putting that out there. I, I mean, just food for thought. Uh, an Idaho jury found Weaver not guilty on almost all charges and ruled that Harris's shooting of U.S. Marshal was self-defense. Uh, federal Judge Edward Lodge released a lengthy list detailing the Justice Department and the FBI's misconduct and fabricating and fabrication of evidence in the case. Uh, yes, uh, they were. Randy was Randy was feeling guilty on like one charge, um, and he was sentenced to like 18 months. At this point in time, he had already been in jail for 15 months, so they gave him time credit for 15, they gave him credit served for 15 months, and then like uh, he'd served like three more months. They released him. Kevin Harris was found not guilty on all charges. Um, yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that's 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 pretty clean cut right there. I mean, it was uh yeah. Uh, in January 1995, uh, FBI Chief Louis Frey announced that the FBI had completed its own self-investigation, which effectively confirmed that the Bureau was still immaculate. Writing in the Wall Street Journal and Washington Times, I, this is James, the author of this article, uh, I bash that ruling and continuing cover-up. Frey responded by denouncing my, quote, misleading or patently false co uh, conclusions and quote inflammatory and unfounded allegations. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, uh, the FBI handed down um, like 12 different uh, punishments to people. And like the, the, the most severe punishment handed down by the FBI for its actions at Ruby Ridge was like a 15-day suspended without pay. Like no shit legit. No, like no joke. Like the, the FBI's internal investigation... The, the biggest punishment it handed down was like a 15 day suspension without pay which is which is like the same punishment that they handed out for like uh, I, I think they handed it out for an FBI agent losing a a company owned cell phone or something like that so yeah um, uh, in some in 1995 the FBI and Justice Department elaborate cover-up unraveled. Uh, the cover-up was eventually un uh, unraveled, and a top FBI official was sent to prison for destroying key evidence. The feds in 1995 paid the Weaver family $3 million to settle their wrongful death lawsuit. Uh, yes, um, there was... <sighs> destroying key evidence, uh, they destroyed um, the paperwork for the altered ROE and a couple of other things. Uh, the person the person went down for like, for like 18 months or something like that, did like a year. Um, the fam uh, 1995, uh, the Fed uh, paid the Weavers three million. They actually paid them three point one million, the uh, one million for each of those each of the surviving daughters, and then a hundred thousand dollars went to Randy. Kevin Harris also sued, and actually had to appeal um, several times because the federal government kept uh, appealing the decision to pay him. Because they said that they would never pay someone that killed a federal agent. They ended up paying Kevin Harris $380,000. <laughs> so Kevin Harris wins round two. Um, <laughs> but uh, the lawyer, the uh, uh, Randy Weaver's lawyer, whose name I cannot recall at this moment. I'll have to dig up an article on that and post it in the, in the description. Um, he actually said that if it had gone to a jury trial, that the federal government would have ended up paying the Weavers like $150 million. But there was a settlement reached and, and all this other stuff. They, the Weavers just wanted to move on. They wanted to get rid of the government. So they took the $3.1 million settlement. Okay. Um, when Boundary County, Idaho, sought in 1998 to prosecute the FBI sniper who killed Vicki Weaver, the Clinton administration torpedoed the lawsuit by invoking the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution, which blocks local and state governments from challenging federal power. Uh, yes, this was um, a, uh, a a prosecutor that was elected um, literally, literally the same as the, as, the, as the sheriff that I mentioned earlier, literally elected... Um, to go after the federal government to, 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 to finally get some sort of justice and, and to expose what the federal government had done at Ruby Ridge. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, supremacy clause, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, Seth Waxman, the Solicitor General of the United States, absolved the FBI agent because, quote, federal law enforcement officials are privileged to do what otherwise would be unlawful if done by a private citizen. Just the Seth Waxman, the Solicitor General of the United States, absolved the FBI agent because, quote, federal law enforcement officials are privileged to do what others would be unlawful if done by a private citizen. Um, in absolving Lon Harachi, essentially invoking the Supremacy Clause, um, 
the prosecutors actually dropped the involuntary manslaughter charge in like 2001 when it was ruled that yeah i mean can't go after the federal government and who was who was the lawyer who was the lawyer the the um the defense lawyer for the federal government at the time who who argued in court that for for the supremacy clause that would be current attorney general william barr so yeah uh, the article goes on, um, but that is exactly why Ruby Ridge enraged so many Americans, and it's not simply a right-wing cause. The American Civil Liberties Union joined the National Rifle Association in condemning federal misconduct at Ruby Ridge. <sighs> um, Ruby Ridge would become even more important and incendiary in coming years. Former President Barack Obama is reported to favor Massachusetts Attorney General David Patrick as his candidate for the 2020 presidential nomination. When he was a top official at the Justice Department in 1994, Patrick whitewashed FBI abuses at Ruby Ridge. A 542-page Confidential Justice Department Task Force report recommended federal criminal charges against the FBI sniper who killed Vicki Weaver. Patrick overturned that recommendation because he insisted that, quote, excessive force had not been used. Shooting unarmed Randy Weaver in the back, shooting unarmed Vicki Weaver in the face while she held her 10-month-old daughter, um, that's not excessive force? Yeah, okay. Um, let's see, uh, and then he goes on to talk about, um, the article goes on, the federal government can quickly lose its credibility when it's perceived as conducting an ideological vendetta. Last August, a Nevada jury in which the Associated Press labeled, quote, a stunning setback to federal prosecutors found four supporters of rancher Cliven Bundy not guilty for his role for their role in the 2014 confrontation with federal agents in a disputed uh, cattle grazing on government land. Even though federal judge Gloria Navarro prohibited defendants from invoking their constitutional rights, jurors scorned federal claims that the men were part of a conspiracy against the government. Uh, this was the second trial for some of the defendants after the initial jury refused to convict but did not formally reach a not guilty verdict. Uh, and the second jury deadlocked on some of the charges against some defendants. The Justice Department announced it would try a third time. Uh, the travesty of fairness, prosecuting people into financial destruction regardless of the government's losses, did not receive 1% of the denunciation from the media that it deserved. Which I agree. I mean, that, that the, the Bundy trial and, and everything that went on with the Bundys, that was the same sort of government overreach, government involvement in public lands, or sorry, federal government involvement and in, in, in state lands. And yeah, um, and the, the jury, uh, the jury in uh, Randy Weaver's trial, it was the longest trial in Idaho history to that point. It was like, like 150 days or something like that. Um, it also had the longest jury deliberation, which was like 20 days uh, in Idaho history. So that tells you how uh, how split people were on it. Uh, back to the article. Uh, federal crackdowns on descendants may be assisted uh, by growing enthusiasm for censoring among established views. The New York Times op-ed and other prominent media venues have recently published calls to suppress dangerous ideas. 
There are increasing demands to treat certain ideas as the equivalent of violence, thereby attempting to justify preemptive action by Antifa or other militants against their adherents. 2020. Take a look around, people. Jim wrote this three years ago. <laughs> it's it's kind of right. Just saying. Um, in a nation with hundreds of millions of people, there are plenty of folks with antisocial or harebrained notions. But is if someone is living alone on a mountaintop, as long as they are not a cannibal, who cares what they believe? Even if the government could forcefully eliminate everyone from heretical, everyone with heretical beliefs, the sheer extent of repression would spawn legions of new rabble rousers. Freedom of speech is more is a more reliable antidote to toxic ideologies than unleashing the FBI or other federal agencies. Bad precedents can far more or bad precedents can be far more deadly than bad ideas. If the government is entitled to effectively label certain individuals or groups or notions as public enemies, it is naive to expect due process and fair play to follow. Ruby Ridge illustrates the folly of treating noxious ideas like ticking time bombs. The vast majority of devotees uh, to the, the vast majority Sorry, the vast majority of devotees of deluded dogmas will be duds unless the government detonates that scene. So, yeah, that was the article from Jim. It's not long. Like I said, I didn't want to keep you guys here too long just to listen to my voice because, yeah, it's my voice. I don't like my voice either. But, um, yeah, Ruby Ridge, man, it's... It's, I think it's very relevant today. You know, people say, oh, that, that could never happen here. You know, especially especially people that are new to things. Like, we have... I, I, I It's it's not a generation thing. It's it's an, intera- it's an iteration thing. Like, people that are new to anarchism, new to libertarianism, new to the political environment, new to all these ideas. Every person believes that... Or, sorry... Every every new person, every new libertarian, every it's it happens again and again and again. It's almost it's 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 kind of sad the way it happens, but I understand it. Every person new to libertarianism or new to anarchism, they believe that they have the ideas that that w- that we can change government through X Y Z, right? We just we just have to we just have to wake up enough people. We just have to we have to we have to to to, to get off the grid. We have to. We have to get away from government and do X, Y, Z and A, B, C, and 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 then things will be better. We have to we have to vote the right people into chart into into office. No, I'm sorry. No, the, the, you can't you can't hide from government. You can't you can't overthrow government using the government. You I mean no what's what's the saying? Um, um no oppressor is going to give you the education you need to overthrow them. That's that's a, a fucked up quote. I know, I, I or not fucked up quote. I messed up the quote. But yeah, no, the the, the government isn't going to give you the keys that you need to to get your freedom. It's 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 that's not the way it works. The the government doesn't care about your freedom. The government the government is antithetical to freedom at any level. Any level of government is antithetical to freedom. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to to say to do xyz because you can't there's no three-step there's no 12-step program to freedom right it's it's not a 1995 a month subscription service 
right? There's there's no there's no one answer to it. All I'm saying is, hiding out in the woods is obviously not a solution. Go ask Randy Weaver. Go ask Duncan Limp. You can't hide from government. So, take that for what it's worth. But, uh, yeah. So, let me know how I did. Um, my first ever solo. I wanted to keep it short, so it's only, what, like 44 minutes in? So, kind of rambly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm it's it's my it's my first time doing it by myself. So yeah, on that note, uh I don't have anything else. So this has been episode 103. RIP Sammy and Vicky. And uh the crew will be back and we'll catch you on the uh the next episode. Peace. <laughs>